Father, you're a great God. I stand here, Father, and just knees knocking and all the years of just preaching, Father, I find myself every time up here just with fear and trepidation, I guess, Father, that, Lord, it's, it's, it's not the people, Father, it's that I have things right in your word. And so, Father, I ask that you would preach through me this morning, Father, you'd take the words that, that I use, uh, make them not supersede any part of your word, let them hear your word, let them see you, Father. Let them know that their God has spoken to them through the scriptures this morning. And Father, I just thank you for all you brought here, Father, today. All who can't be here, all who are watching even online. And Lord, we ask that you'd bless our time together, our fellowship afterwards, Father. You are a great and mighty God. And help us, Lord, as we finish this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in John chapter 3. I saved the last verse, but I postponed this this message here for two weeks. Uh, as we're working through John, we had, of course, Christmas account. So uh, some of this stuff, we are leading up to this. We'll try to refresh your memory with a little bit of this. Uh, we're talking about being born again. That's where we've been for the last few months. And so as we finish off in the last verse of John chapter 3, it reads, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So welcome for the message for the new year. All right. Bring, and also with that, let's go to over, hold your place there. Go over to First John, if you would. Chapter 5, verse 11, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. So this eternal life, this uh, review here of where we were uh, three weeks ago, God has given us eternal life. Amen? And so John writes of eternal life as a present possession. He says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given, not will give, or although that is in other scripture shows that we have eternal life coming, but we have eternal life now. This, we are, you should already know this. Okay, any believer should know this already, that we possess that right now. He who has the Son has, uh, or not will have, but has eternal life. It says there in verse 12 also, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So again, the believer should know this, that you may know that you have Eternal life, again in verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. There's the question. Do you, or do you know this morning that you possess eternal life? That seems basic for the believer, but we are in America today that's, a lot of people don't know about Jesus. You say, that's crazy. No, they don't know. They know there's maybe a creator, maybe there's a power that's greater than them, but they, a lot of people don't know 
who Jesus Christ is. You say, well, that's crazy. We live in America. No. If you look at how, what a Christian is, what people define a Christian to be, we have to go back now and explain what a Christian is. There was a day when people understood this, but they don't anymore. And so here we are. Paul wrote of eternal life as a future hope. He would speak of it as if we went, uh, go to Romans chapter 2 and look at verses 6, six through 8. And this is a review, of course, from three weeks ago a little bit. So we get to Romans chapter 2, and, and what does it say starting in verse 6? Who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man that does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. Now we'll talk about the wrath of God at the end because that's the last part of that verse in verse 36 in John 3. We'll talk about the wrath here in a little bit, but here we see Paul looks, writes about eternal life as a future hope. Okay, some place we're, we're going to have in the future. He doesn't mean he doesn't understand eternal life as being presently had, but he speaks of it as something to come. Are you looking forward to eternal life? So the answer should be yes. Do I have eternal life? Yes. You know, so when you look at, you go to Romans chapter 6, you would see Paul speaking that way here in chapter 6, verse 22, and it says, but now, have, but now having been set free from sin and having become slave of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So that's something to come. It's something I have. It's, so Paul would look at it that way. John would come in and Jesus defined eternal life as what? Let's talk Jesus himself. So, you know, what does he say in John, in the gospel of John, John 17, verse 3? If you want to follow me there to John 17, 3. And this is really eternal life defined right here. And it says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So who does Jesus, how does he explain eternal life? What is eternal life? He's eternal life. Okay, so eternal life I possess. I have Christ as my Savior, therefore I have eternal life. And again, this is basic. We've talked about this before. As long as I have Jesus, I have life. Okay, why? Because he lives, he doesn't die. If he, would, if he would die today, we would not have eternal life. We have life in him. He is my eternal life. It's a person, it's not a place to go. It's a person, it's a relationship with the living God. That's eternal life, that I may know him. How many know him? Oh boy, if you can remember what Jeremiah says, if you can vote in Jeremiah 9, you can boast in anything, boast in this, that he knows me and understands me. The fact that God has allowed you to know him, that's eternal life. To have a relationship with a God who is alive forever. And so we can see this. John would define that in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, in verse 20 there, where it says, and we know... That's 520, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding 
that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and what? Look at that. Eternal life. Jesus is the true God, but he is eternal life. John began his epistle. If you go, since you're there, go back to 1 John 1, verse 2. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. And he says, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So here he is called the eternal life again. Wow. That's amazing. So the conclusion should be very, fairly obvious. It, it, it is only in Jesus that eternal life can be found. There's no other place to go. Now you say, well, that, again, that's, Pastor, you know, that's, that's simple teaching for simple people. I know that already. No, you need to hear this all the time. The gospel is not just given so people can hear it, that you speak it to. It needs to be heard by you who are speaking it. You need be, it needs to be reaffirmed in you constantly. You need to hear yourself proclaim these things that are great. He is eternal life. If, if I just kept that before me, there would be no doubt in me that I would have eternal life forever. Why is it that so many Christians don't believe in eternal security? That's insane. Eternal means what? Yeah, he doesn't say, you know, I'm granting you temporal life. And as soon as you mess up, it's over. You know what that becomes? Works-based salvation. And folks, that's not our God. I have an eternal relationship with a living God. That's amazing. And so... <clears throat> That's only found in Jesus. And if we wish to have eternal life, we must be in Jesus. We must have faith in Christ. We have to be alive in him. We have to have a relationship with him. Now that sounds exclusive, but no more than in Jesus' own words. What does he say, what does he say in John 14, 6? I'm the way. Just, just break that down. I'm the way. What's he saying by that? There's no other way. I'm the truth. What's he saying by that? There's no other truth. Okay, it's not like here's Jesus and he's the way and oh, I got this other option. No, he's the way, he's the truth. There's no other truth. And what? There, and, and life. There's no life anywhere else except in Jesus. And then, of course, Peter also made it clear that salvation, life is found only in Jesus when he says in Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. And so, if we don't have that figured out by now, then how can we disciple other people? All right? So, one who remains outside of Christ has no hope of eternal life. In order to be in glory with him, in order to, you know, you go through the, to see those loved ones that have went before me, or you, or in order to have uh, salvation, any kind of peace in that, I have to come through Christ. There's no other options. Now, I'm trusting, you know, that many people in here have made that declaration of faith in Jesus. But you don't assume these things. This is why going over John again, starting the book of John, and going after all these little places that aren't talked about much in preaching anymore. Like repentance, you know, remission, all these different things. Forgiveness. How does forgiveness happen? You know, you got to go back through the basics of the gospel. You say, well, that, that doesn't feed me. Well, it does. 
It does. So let's look at uh, 36 here again. Okay, we, there's benchmarks. If you look at John 3:36, it kind of just leads into. Let me get to John and not First John here. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. There's benchmarks to know that are given in Scripture by which we can know whether we have eternal life or not. Let's go to 1 John 2, 3. How do I know I'm, a re I'm really a believer? If you don't know that the book of 1 John is written so that you'd know that. Okay, it's written to believers that you would know if you were really a believer or not. John is written so that you would get saved. So we go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, and it says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Here's a benchmark. Okay? How do I know that I have a relationship with Christ, that I'm saved, that I'm born again? How do I know that? I keep his commandments. Now what does that mean? Do I keep... All of them, some of them, the things I like, things I don't like. Do I have the option of picking and choosing which command I'm going to obey? Yeah, sometimes we even will get into the New Testament, okay? The New Testament. Now, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, summed up in 10, carried over to the New Testament in 2, right? But there's other things that are given in the New Testament that aren't suggestions, they're commandments, you know. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Those aren't suggestions God gives us. This is how he wants you to do So do I not do those things? He gives us boundaries for how to walk, you know. Galatians, Colossians, all. How to walk as a believer. Are, are those guidelines I'm supposed to just miss? No, I'm supposed to obey him. Obey his commandments. Now, now, how do I know I'm a real believer in Jesus Christ? It's not just that I'm obeying his commandments. I want to obey them. Now, that doesn't mean I don't fail. Okay? How many fail? All right. Walking, listen, it's becoming a believer is easy. Walking as one is hard. In other words, I can put my faith in Jesus Christ and believe on him, believe the gospel, be sealed with the Spirit, but then walking becomes warfare sometimes. It's a difficult thing. Matter of fact, he says, narrow is the way that, uh, uh, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. Few of you that find it, but hard is the way that leads to life. That's what it says. It's a hard way. But a mark that I'm a believer is I keep his commandments, okay? If I go to 1 John 2, 5, since I'm right there, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. By the way, you see this word keep? That word means to keep an eye on it. Don't let it out of your sight. Okay? That's what the word means in the Greek there. Keep your eye on it. Right? So if it says, obey his commandments, keep his commandments, I'm watching all the time to make sure my eye is on what he says. That means I'm going to have to be in the word of God to make that happen. All right? So the word keep, same word here. Keep his, uh, by this we know that we're in him if we keep his word. It's to guard it, not just to watch it, but to guard so there's no loss. 
That's the definition there. I keep it. I guard it so there's no loss. How do I guard the word so there's no loss? The word doesn't change. I'm guarding it so the enemy doesn't come and steal it from me. I'm in the word, constantly in prayer, praising him, studying, being in the scriptures, fellowship with God, guarding so that none of it gets, I don't lose it. And if you're one of these Christians that just ventures into the word of God or into prayer occasionally, like once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe, and it's not more consistent than that. I mean, the enemy can come and just take what you learn and take it away. You need to guard it. Things I read today, guard it. How do you guard it? Meditate on it. Chew it over and over and over. Read it and read it and read it. Apply it, apply it, apply it. And so I need to keep his word. We know we have passed from death to life. If you look at First uh, John 3, 14, because we love the brethren. Now, Paul read those verses. Thanks for reading those, Paul. Those are great. But look what it says here in 14. It says, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love the brother abides in death. What does abide in death mean? He's not saved yet. That's one of the most biggest miracles I think God does in the life of a believer. You'll have love for the brethren. Doesn't mean you always agree with them. Doesn't mean you these personalities, certain personalities you're not comfortable with. But overall, you'll have a love for the body, the church, the bride, the brethren, right? You'll be more concerned about uh, their needs than your needs. Now, we all are working at that because nobody's mastered that yet, right? At least I haven't. But you have love. That's a, that's a benchmark of faith, loving the brethren. It's really kind of a hard thing to try to come and be a part of a body of Christ and hate each other. I mean, that's, that's nuts. And what happens when, when love is not shown? You have dissension. You have divisions. Uh, you're going to have those anyway, sometimes for personality reasons, but it shouldn't be because you don't love the brethren. Okay, by this we know that we're of the truth. If I look at 319. And by this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And we really need 18 with that. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So if I really love the brethren, my actions are going to follow my mouth. And here's the thing. If we use the book of James in there, you know, if I see somebody in need, it's not my job to go get somebody else to do the work. You know, if God shows it to me, then for somehow, some way, he's, I have the means to do that. It's not my job to go get a brother. Hey, you know what? You should be concerned about that person over here because I'm passing the buck to you. No, God lays it on your heart. You take care of it. If it needs more than that, then go to the church and, and get some help. But the first person to meet the need is the one that God lays it on their heart. And it's going to show up, love with deed and truth, with action. And by this we know that he abides in us. If we look at verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. You know, you should certainly know that you're a believer by the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And again, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 14, 
When do you receive the Spirit of God? That's important to this because the very minute he enters into my life, I should know that there's a change. Why? I'm a new believer. There should be a change. Somebody's in me that wasn't there before. Right? So 1, 13 and 14, In him you, all, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Certainly, if none of these other things you realize in your life, certainly you should know that there's somebody in me that changed me. You can't have the Spirit of God indwelling you and be the same as you were before you got saved. Just It's impossible. So how do I know there's, that it's different? Because <laughs> he's in me. So the book of, we look at the book of 1 John, it uses the word know quite a bit, almost 40 times in this short letter. Now he does this because the Lord wants us to know that we have been saved. That, and so the Lord gives us really, if I was to break this all up in 1 John, we'll go back to John in just a little bit. He gives us three basic tests really that we can take to determine whether or not we've been born again. First one is the lordship test. Okay? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Now, he's Lord already. And throw out the notion that you can make him Lord because he's already Lord. Now, you can submit to his lordship. That is true. How many of you have submitted to the lordship of Christ? Now, before you raise your hand, <laughs> what does Lord mean? Master, sovereign, God, the Jehovah. God, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. There's no higher being than him. Okay, so when I say he's Lord of my life, I'm saying he has total control of me. That means if he asks me to do anything at any given moment, I'm ready to respond with a yes. I don't do like somebody asks you to take out the garbage and you'll say, well, I'll do that later. No, if he's Lord, you're moving to please him. You're moving to obey him, correct? I mean, a Lord is a master, but he is Lord, okay? So is he in control of my life? And again, consider if we, if we were to look back again at, at 1 John, consider 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 again. And let me read that to you, just to remind us. 1 John chapter 2, and that's verses 3 and 4. It says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are, uh, we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk just as he walked. Now if he's Lord of our life, I'm walking as he walks. And so... The person who could care less about what God thinks is likely not to have salvation in him. But he's Lord. Truly a born-again person will have his heart, his heart's desire will be to obey God, to please God. Even in John, the gospel, John 14 and verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. 
The second test would be the fellowship test. There will be a genuine love for God and for his children, as I've said. There will be a desire for unity, a desire for peace, a desire for fellowship. It's an amazing thing. What do you, what, whenever a Bible study is going on, do you want to be in fellowship with God? If you're not looking for some Bible study to go to, are you having one with him yourself? So there's this fellowship test. I, I, a true believer is going to want to certainly be around God constantly, but not just around God, but around God's people constantly. You're going to hunger for fellowship. You know, I love my biological family a lot, but and I've said this before. But I really, when I am gone for a while, I, I miss my spiritual family. Not that my biological family is not saved, just says, you guys, I miss you when I'm gone. It's a weird feeling. Well, how many of you miss each other when you're gone? Right? Because God has done an incredible thing with Rathman Bible Church, other churches of fellowship. He's knit us together. You're not here by accident. We are knit together as a body. And if one of us is gone, it feels out of place. But if we're not in fellowship, we wouldn't even know who was here and who wasn't here, were we? There's people missing today. Do you know who's not here? When you look around and say, okay, who's missing? Well, we have a guy and his wife in the hospital right now struggling because he had a stroke. And that's Steve Crane and Janine. So pray for him. There's Betty Belts who can't be here because she has physical issues. There's others that can't come. But they're part of this body, you know. We got people down at the Affinity Apartments that have tagged on to this church because this is their home church. They've never been here. But we do a Bible study down there. We minister there on Sunday. They're part of this body. And you'll see their names in the directory coming out. So you can call them and encourage them. My whole point is, why, why does God put us together? Why are you stuck with me? Huh? Just lucky. Punishment. <laughs> there's the third test relationship test see salvation is a, a vital relationship with with the lord jesus christ the question is not do you believe in jesus rather it is are you believing in him is it not just a one-time thing it's a continual thing putting faith in christ do you have a relationship with the lord right now and not me not don't tell me yeah i'm going to heaven no What's he like today? What's he taught you yesterday? What's he teaching you now? What's the communication that's going on between you and him at the moment? So it's not what he did with me. It's what he's doing in me. He isn't like a switch that you can turn off and on at your own will. If he's present in your life, he will make his presence known to you at every given moment. So there's, he's my Lord I have fellowship with him and the brethren, and that I belong to him. There's this relationship that I have with him that it cannot be put into words. And you've experienced that. And what happens if I don't have that? Well, look at John chapter 3, that verse again, verse 36, the last part of it. But the wrath of God abides on him. So he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. Doesn't just listen. It's not that they don't possess it. They'll never see it. 
Can you imagine going through this whole life, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and never know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then never see eternal life? Remember, remember, who is eternal life? Christ. We don't get to see him until we first know him. And then it starts. So, But the wrath of God. Now, God's wrath is a righteous thing. It will ultimately, uh, he will ultimately execute his wrath upon sinful man because the wicked cannot go unpunished. You look at 2 Thessalonians. Gee whiz. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is a scary place in Scripture for an unbeliever. And if we were to start it's a long, in just verse 6, since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now just try to process this. He's coming back. He'll be revealed in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and there's the, who do not have an intimate relationship with him, not knowing, it's not that knowing him here in an intellectual way, like, yeah, Jesus existed. It's the word know is intimate, like between a man and a wife, that intimacy they have. I know him. So those who don't know him, What's it say? In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you disobey that? You simply don't believe it. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Look at that. Now, I don't want to sit here and mince words with people. People have told me that's impossible, that you can't have everlasting eternal destruction without something coming to an end. God can do it. God, God can punish the wicked forever, destroying them for, forever without letting destruction totally come upon them. You see what I'm saying? Everlasting destruction? How does that work? Annihilationism doesn't work in Scripture. That means God puts his wrath on you and there comes, it comes to an end. Okay? Eternal is eternal, folks. Eternal destruction is forever. This is forever without God, forever not seeing God, totally in darkness, away from God, not even in his presence, with no way of ever getting a second chance to make things right. There's no purgatory. There's none of that. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Just to be separated from the glory of his power. You know, as bad as the world is today, folks, Jesus is in it. Can you imagine when you can't find him anymore? When you can't see him? When he totally pulls away and destruction just has, is, just ravages everything? And all those who have rejected the gospel? So God's wrath is something we really need to be aware of. Paul wrote in Romans eleven twenty two: Behold, therefore, of the goodness and severity of God. Hebrews chapter 10 31, verse 31 tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It will be a day of judgment for the ungodly, Peter would say in chapter 3, 2 Peter 3. 
There'll be a time when the fullness of God's righteousness, righteous indignation is made known. But in some ways, his wrath has already come, hasn't it? If we look at Romans 1, let's go to Romans 1. What does God do to a culture that rejects him? Well, Romans 1, if we just start just in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Do you think that's happening today? Is the truth being suppressed? Where? Who's suppressing the truth? I'll give you some. The church. Pulpits. You know, don't preach the word of God, word for word, jibble, you know, every jot and tittle of the scripture. You don't, you try to make it a, so people feel good about themselves and it's all about self-esteem. You're not preaching the gospel. You're not preaching the word of God. You're not giving the full counsel of God. But so that starts in the church. It's in the world. Men are suppressing the truth. And because of that, look what it says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So in unrighteous acts. It's not just what they say or teach. It's what they do. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God is showing it to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody can say there's no God. Nobody can say, I never heard. Because all of his creation is screaming there's a God and there's a God who's made this and there's a God you're accountable to. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. People I'm reading about our culture right now. What it's like in the United States of America, let alone the world. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. It's a sad testimony when I can't speak about Jesus in a public forum, but I can talk about Earth Day or some other deity that's a false deity. I can talk about any religion I want to. I can talk about God in the generic, but if I mention Jesus Christ, oh, well, now we have hate crimes going. What's happened to our culture? Well, look at this. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's being done with an ungrateful heart, unthankful heart, rejecting God and worshiping the creature and not the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their hearts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Okay, when you see these things in a culture, it already has a debased mind. Judgment's already begun. These are the results of a rejection of God. When a culture sits here and says, we endorse this, this is what we want, this, they've already rejected God. That's the fruit 
of turning a back, your back on the creator and worshiping the creature. That's the fruit of being ungrateful. That's the fruit of being unthankful. That's the fruit of suppressing the truth. When you do this, these things come out of the woodwork like roaches. Now, hey, I could get in trouble for what I just said. But that doesn't say, okay, that's the truth. Okay, judgment isn't coming, folks. I mean, it is coming. We'll see that in the tribulation time, all that. But it's already begun. Now, it's a more subtle way, but it has begun. Our culture has been turned over to a debased mind. Pray, God, that we repent. And many people bow a knee to God, and we... And there, at least there would be some sort of a harvest to come. But we are in dire straits because of the rejection of Christ. Now I pray, just to close this up, that everyone here knows him as their Lord and Savior. And I know John 3, where, where it's like, oh man, that's the, the, the basics. But there's no such part of scripture that's the basics. You know, you read it, you study it. We need Jesus, folks. The hour is going to get darker, and we need him. It's not going to get better. It's going to get harder, and we need him. Father, help us as a church body, Father, to, first of all, know that we know you, that we have a relationship with you, that each person here would know that they have fellowship with you, salvation in you, forgiveness in you, and then, Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to grow in your word. Help us to know it. Help us to meditate on it. Help us to grow in it, Lord Jesus. Help us to be able to disciple others, Lord Jesus, with the things that you teach us. I ask, as I always do, Lord, that you continue to grow this body. Thank you for the times we're in, Father God. Thank you that we get to be a light and a testimony for you. Thank you for all who are here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.